Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Noise in Brief, PR Week UK's fortnightly podcast series where we discuss the biggest industry news stories from the past week in a bite-sized format. I'm Siobhan Holt, News Editor of PR Week UK, and today I'm joined by reporter Eliza Radu and PR Week UK Editor John Harrington. This week, PR Week has launched the Pay Gap Project. John, do you want to give us an overview of this? Yes, so this is the third time PR Week has produced its Pay Gap Project with people like us, which is the networking campaign group for ethnic diversity in comms and the media. So there's quite a lot going on here, but I'll be brief. As part of the scheme, PR agencies are asked to provide figures on the average pay for women and ethnically diverse employees at their businesses, both overall and at different levels of seniority. We produce two tables one on the gender pay gap and one on the ethnicity pay gap. So the tables show the pay gaps as well as how many women and staff from ethnic minority backgrounds work in the business overall and in senior roles. And as I wrote in the intro to the piece that went live on Tuesday, the good news this year is that almost twice as many agencies have taken part. We had 38, uh, last year we had 20. That's great. Yeah, so I mean, look at some of the averages Things like average pay for women and ethnic minority staff, we can see things are generally moving in the right direction. Although quite a big caveat, it's difficult to give a proper like-for-like comparison because there are more agencies and there are different ones this time. Plus, we're not saying it reflects the industry as a whole. That's a much bigger question. And as I wrote as well, nobody is popping champagne corks at the facts. Agency employees from ethnically diverse backgrounds do only earn on average barely more than three quarters of the average pay across the board, for example. So it was also a shame that none of the agencies in the big global listed holding companies took part this year. Quietly, some of them tell us they're not allowed to. Others point to GDPR. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I just know it's a big shame and something for us to focus on next year. So that's our project. It's, as I say, went live on Tuesday this week. Stay tuned for more articles as the week progresses. But Siobhan and Eliza, what did you make of the findings? 
I thought the findings were quite interesting because when it comes to reporting numbers, it's always linked to facts and it's a good blueprint for the rest of the industry. On average, women and ethnic minority staff were paid more than last year, which is great news for the sector. But as John said, it still needs improvement. What I really enjoyed finding out is the most obvious growth area was bolstering existing staff benefits which isn't surprising given the cost of living crisis, but employers are more focused on helping staff generally with the cost of living crisis, which is really good. There's also been significantly more support for actions such as unconscious bias training, which is important for tackling inequalities and provides everyone with a basic level of understanding. Mm -hmm. So overall, I think it's a pretty good year for PR, but could be better. Yeah. So it's moving in the right direction. Yeah, I think one of the things I write in the overview article is that more agencies are doing more things, certainly from the sample we have. We ask people to sort of tick the number of steps that they're taking and there is a percentage increase on those for almost every step. And you're right, unconscious bias training is, is definitely one of them. And outside of the fact that there are more staff benefits, as you say, linked to the cost of living crisis, you can look at things like staff DNI workshops, clear process for promotions and pay rises, things like advertising roles with organisations geared towards having a more diverse set of people applying, things like that. There definitely seems to have been more of them. So it does feel like the industry is taking this issue seriously, or certainly we see it from those that submit to this report. It doesn't mean that those that haven't aren't taking it seriously, but unfortunately it's hard to know really, Mm -hmm. simply because we don't have the data on them. So, you know, I certainly reiterate as well that you know, it would be great if more did take part. But nevertheless, the fact we got almost twice as many this year is a good thing. So, yeah, I think the overall sense that some progress has been made, but there's still a lot to do mm-hmm. is important. I, I think there's one one stat that I'll kind of highlight when it comes to the proportion of people from ethnic minority backgrounds in senior roles. That's increased last year. Oh, I saw that. I thought work. it was amazing. Yeah. And I think, although the, the increase wasn't huge, I think that's and it's something we identified last year is really one of the key areas that the industry needs to work on Mm -hmm. because there's been, over the last couple of years, certainly since 2020, there's been a big drive to get people from ethnic minority backgrounds into the industry, which is a great thing. But part of the challenge historically has been ensuring people don't leave, um, ensuring people are are promoted and retained. So perhaps we're starting to see some positive movement there. Absolutely. And I think as well with that, for the sector to grow, you need to see people in those positions. That aspiration needs to be there to think, I could do that. And obviously, that is one of the challenges. If you don't see senior women that you can I'd like look up to and people of colour, then it is a hindrance for a sector. So I think it is a positive. But as you say, it's only going to happen gradually. This is not an overnight thing that we can all change, but I think it shows real progress and, and the PR industry should be giving themselves a bit of a pat on the back that they are at least working towards that and keep trying every year. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I also know that the industry is still underrepresented. Absolutely. I mean, I think we yeah. can also exaggerate the sort of the positive elements. Yeah, because we're here. looking I mean, at the positives here, aren't we? We're as we positives. say from our sector, this group, we exactly. presume are the best of the best for that. <laughs> yes, yes. So certainly not saying this is the industry as a whole. No. Although we need leaders like the people who submitted their data for this, you know, who really are leading the sector. They might not all be the biggest and most of them are, frankly, medium and small agencies. Kudos to the large ones that also got involved as well. Mm-hmm. But I really think there's still a huge amount to be done. 
but I do think there are genuinely positive signs, which is yeah, good. Yeah. And I think as well, that this really follows on from some of our other work this week. We've been looking at the results from our Gen Z survey, which is a series that's been focused on Gen Z workers in the comms industry. And we've surveyed comms and public affairs professionals who were born from 1997 onwards. And we received 110 responses, which was great. And in that, they also pulled up diversity. In one of the questions we asked was that if they could change three things about the industry, what would it be? And diversity really cropped up as a as an opinion by many. Some said that we can't really advise clients on diversity and inclusion if we aren't practicing what we preach, which I thought was really interesting. What did you guys think? No, I completely agree because lived experiences are so important when it comes to consulting and PR because mm-hmm. you may think something is important to one audience or one specific consumer, but it could totally alienate another group so I think it's really important to practice what you preach essentially. Yeah absolutely and in the survey one respondent gave the example of a KFC campaign so the KFC advert of three slides all featuring black people eating chicken without utensils has a slightly racist undertones is what they said and they added that this could have been caught by black members of staff So I think it's one of these where you sometimes, if you step back and look at a campaign, having more diverse people in the room is going to give you more diverse opinions on it. And that's what's important, I think, in this. And so a lot of people were making that argument that you need different voices, different thoughts and approaches and lived experiences to really develop as a team. I think that's totally right. And we've seen over several years examples of campaigns getting this wrong. I mean, one that springs to mind is, do you remember the Home Office Chicken Shop campaign from, I don't know, pre-COVID, maybe five years ago, Mm -hmm. where it was an anti-knife crime campaign and they targeted it at chicken shops in London, in South London. And it got a very fierce backlash because of, yeah, insinuations that there was sort of racist uh, undertones to it. And there were lots of other campaigns where you could say this is the case, really. I totally think that's right. On another point around diversity, what I've noticed doing 30 under 30 for several years or sort of overseeing that for the you know, eight, nine years I've been at PR Week, it's something that comes up a lot there as well. Mm. And a lot of the time it seems to be the people who are, well, probably most of them are millennials to be fair, but some of them would be Gen Z. I say Gen Z, by the way, not Gen Z. <laughs> He's very point, funny about that guy. Side point. <laughs> Um, it's the subs ruling, isn't it? But (laughs) anyway, so yeah, one thing that's come out from that is that quite a lot of the younger people seem to be sort of leading on diversity initiatives in their organisations, in their agencies and in their in-house teams. So there's this sense of like, there seems to be very much a consensus on this point, but also people aren't sitting back. They're actively doing something about it. Yeah. Um, So I think that's been a big theme of the last, well, certainly as long as I've been writing about the industry, sort of eight or nine years. And I imagine it's probably something that's accelerating. Yeah, absolutely. It's growing. And another aspect as well in the survey that cropped up was that there was quite a lot argued as well, that it needs to also be diverse for outside of London. That really kept cropping up. They argued that the work is too London focused and that you either get activations that are disconnected from regional communities or you miss out on good talent altogether. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? We've had a few stories recently, haven't we, of sort of London headquartered agencies opening other offices outside London. Yep. Um, yep. That's not a new thing. No. And over a period of time, there've been acquisitions of agencies based outside London to sort of have hubs in other parts of the country. So... It strikes me that there are a lot of agencies that are increasingly understanding that that's important. And I think as things get more 
competitive, you know, agencies are going for more work. Mm-hmm. I think having a base outside London for exactly this reason, that it shows that you're, you care about the communities, that you know about the communities, that there is more diversity of all sorts. I think it's a real trump card for agencies, actually. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, although it's been in the news recently with HS2 and whether well, we'll be scrapped or won't be scrapped, it's definitely brought attention, as you say, to this need of expanding outside that it needs to be, but it needs to be joined up. It's not just a one or the other. You know, we've had agencies that like City Press that have got opened up in London, they all see this sort of need for it needs to have, you need to cover your bases. And that is basically, I think, what a lot of the argument was that yeah. you can't just pick one. It's got to be a few. That's right. There are practical things, right, as well. Yeah. It's sort of, you know, the kind of the war for talent in London is gruelling and hard work. And you can imagine why some agencies would think, okay, what's the market like in Sheffield and Bristol and lots of other places? Yeah. So there's that. And, you know, rental costs too in London. There are definitely downsides to being in the capital is as great as it is. As great as it is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Liza, what stood out to you from the Gen Z survey? So what I found interesting is Gen Z's views on employee benefits. So I think more than two thirds of Gen Z PR professionals listed training and career development as extremely important in the workplace, which shows that they want to actively grow and become a more skilled member of the workforce. But... What didn't surprise me is financial bonuses also came out on top with Gen Z saying it was significant. Surprisingly, not many participants thought about mental health support as an essential, but subsidized work, travel, food in the office. and Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST investments in tech like AI and other soft perks such as gym memberships and money off high street shops and sabbaticals came out lower than I actually thought they would because I love free food especially (laughs) in the office. One respondent said I think monetary incentives are essential when keeping the workforce happy and I think that's a real reflection of the economic climate and where we are today. Um, I also saw that people really enjoyed hybrid working because not everyone lives in London, so some people have to commute. One thing that didn't shock me was the number of respondents that said they liked free drinks was quite low. Uh, John, I think you have a few thoughts on that. Well, yes, (laughs) yes. One of the articles that did particularly well from this series was asking the question if PR has an alcohol problem. You know, frankly, is there too much drinking in this industry, there are too many events focused on alcohol and so on. Seven in 10 of the respondents from Gen Z agreed that the industry has a problem with too many events. 
focused on, on drinking. One anonymous respondent wrote, as someone who has struggled in the past with alcohol addiction issues and still has to regularly check in with myself to ensure I am in control of my drinking habits, the extent to which alcohol is the basis for 90% of events and even just included as part of work life is alarming. Others pointed out that having alcohol at the centre of events can exclude people who don't drink, whether that's for religious or other reasons. And in a way, this goes back to the point about diversity mm. earlier on. And I think, you know, these are all very valid points. My slight concern is that the industry doesn't start judging and looking down on people who do like to have a few drinks at events. I think for me, it's it's not about being puritanical. It's about respecting each other's choices, making options available and creating an inclusive environment. What do you both think? I agree. I have been in some situations, not in this sector, but because I, I don't think this is a PR issue. I think this can cover various other sectors. I wouldn't say this is just a PR thing. Well, I wrote about the pub industry, so you can imagine what that's <laughs> Absolutely. And I can tell you that jewellers also like a drink. But yeah, it's more events, I would say, overall, where you are combining the work with a drinking environment. And that's the challenges. I think sometimes as well, some people can come out with comments where they're for example if you're a woman and you turn around and say you don't want to drink then you get some questions Mm. that has cropped up so I think like you say I think it's more diversity of if you widen that then you're going to get people going that's you don't ask that or that's not really the done thing and with that as well people then don't see it as unusual so then it becomes the norm and that's then if you're still with a drink or you're still without a drink it's not a problem no one's saying anything and I think it's just that needs to change in my opinion what do you think? I think people should have the option to drink or not given the option to drink. Mm-hmm. So you can always have events that don't provide alcohol and they will still work as well as events that do. It's just coming up with that right balance and knowing what your agency culture is like. Yeah. If you know you've got quite a lot of religious staff, then maybe you should look at other alternatives. I'm not saying that they have to drink like non-alcoholic wine but other nice mocktails and stuff Mm -hmm. so they don't feel left out. Because I think the issue comes when someone looks like they're drinking a really fancy cocktail and then someone's standing with juice next to them. Yeah, or water. Because then you get all those awkward questions like, why aren't you drinking? Or what's wrong? Is this religious? And to prevent that like level of awkwardness, if they had a fruity mocktail in hand, no one would be able to know if they were drinking or not. Yeah. I feel it should get to the point where people kind of just mind their own business about booze. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? About drinking alcohol or non-alcoholic. It's like, I could be drinking for certain reasons I could be not drinking for certain reasons you know I might feel a bit unwell I might yeah frankly I might be hung over Siobhan yeah um this isn't about me no this isn't about me it is about it's not just but yeah I, I think this, this is what I mean I think it's just about respecting each other's views not sort of you know looking down on other people's approaches to these things whatever they are but just kind of you know respecting that different people do this differently and not being judgmental yeah but I also agree that events that aren't solely focused, even if there's alcohol there, that aren't solely about alcohol are probably a good thing. There's a lot more wine in this industry than in the pub industry. (laughs) There's a lot of wine. Yeah. You're basically saying you miss the beer. A little bit. (laughs) 
One thing I'd like to add is some religious people just don't like being around alcohol. Yeah. And I think we have to factor that in as well. Mm -hmm. It's all good in saying you can choose to drink or not to drink, but some people don't even want to be around alcohol. And I think that's where we have to come in from a different perspective because it can be quite alienating if you're the only one wearing a headscarf or the only one practicing Islam at a function and everyone else is drinking. You It doesn't feel as diverse. I think this is an issue that comes back to diversity as well. It's a really interesting one and I don't really have a solution for it, but it's very important to factor in that some people just generally don't like being around alcohol, even if they're a recovering addict or they've got different beliefs. So we have to be cautious of that as well. Yeah. Talking of celebratory events that uh, could potentially involve alcohol, let's move on to Christmas. Yay. Don't, don't shout at me. Telling me it's it's too soon. I'm sorry, guys, it's happening. Okay, so this week we interviewed a selection of agency creatives and asked them their views on the 2023 Christmas campaign trends. So some predictions of what they think's to come. Currently, we've had some announcements from some of the big supermarkets saying what their adverts are going to include this year. So we know that Sainsbury's, Sainsbury's ad's going to include 80s pop star Rick Astley. No jokes, John. Asda has signed up Michael Bublé for their Christmas campaign. Um, and obviously we're all waiting with bated breath to see what John Lewis's new advert's going to be after they've switched agencies after 14 years. By this logic, it's going to have to be Jason Donovan, isn't it? Uh, yeah. My money is on Jason Donovan. <laughs> okay, should we all do a sweepstake now on yeah. which we Bublé, think it's going to be? Asley, Donovan, the big oh, three. The big three. <laughs> the holy trinity <laughs> of 80s. <laughs> So, yeah, what did you guys think of some of the predictions? Or what are your own? Well, I predict that we'll see more positivity than last year. However, I believe a couple of brands may go in the tech direction looking at AI stunts. Maybe we'll see a Christmas tree floating down the Thames. <laughs> Hopefully not, but we might. I also think there's a shift towards consumer consciousness and agencies and brands working with charitable initiatives like John Lewis did last year. I think things have started to slightly improve in the UK in terms of like the economic climate. Not by that much, but I think more people will want to see fun campaigns instead of earnest campaigns. All the fun campaigns will have elements of earnestness. Uh, what do you think, John? I think last year we saw the kind of traditional split because there does seem to be a split these days between the kind of escapism ones mm. usually involving an anthropomorphic carrot <laughs> and looking at you, Audi, he'll be back, surely. Oh, he's got to be Kevin. Kevin, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Kevin and, and his other and his friends and all of this. So we'll, we'll get those kind of fun escapist ones with the, as you say, the earnest ones, the sort of the, the charity related ones. I mean, I think John Lewis's last year campaign with um, the foster parents and the, the foster dad learning how to use a skateboard. I mean, that was, I loved that just as, yeah, yeah. A, as a film. I thought that was stunning, but... I think, yeah, and those sort of tie-ins with initiatives, I think those initiatives are going to be linked to more specific causes like last year's because it was interesting that John Lewis chose quite a specific cause there. It wasn't just let's give to hungry people or, you know, help your neighbours. It was quite a specific cause. And I think we might start to see more of that this yeah. year, specific yeah. causes. But I think there's still going to be that split between fun and escapism and sort of charity and earnestness. I mean, I think the AI element, I think we'll definitely see more of that. I mean, we're seeing it, like it, it seems like every week there is some kind of big AI thing released. I saw 
uh, a football shirt sort of draped over Tower Bridge that was a sort of AI-generated image. I think it was Chelsea. There's probably some football comment I could make there that people who follow football more closely would be better at, so I won't bother. But And also our boss is a Chelsea fan. so It's not worth the risk. Not worth the risk. But, you know, there's. I, I think we are going to see more of that because, frankly, it's cheaper and it may be easier to do some sort of clever bits of creativity. So, yes, I think in summary... We're going to have that split between escapism and charity. And I think AI is going to be used like never before. I'm interested to know. I want to know if we're going to start to get back to real earned media led Christmas campaigns. Because I think there was a sense a few years ago that a lot of the campaigns would be moving in this direction. Whereas I think in the COVID and post COVID era, I think generally there's been a bit more conservatism, a mm. bit more of a move towards large scale ads. So I think that'll be interesting. And perhaps the fact that we've got, there are so many new agencies leading the creatives for the Christmas campaigns this year will perhaps kind of suggest that there will be a different approach. Yeah, it's definitely going to be one to watch. But I completely agree. I think there's going to be an assortment. I mean, I think in, in the feature, Will Holloway at Smart put it really well. He was saying there's going to be like an assortment of light purpose campaigns some mining of nostalgia by heritage brands, which, as I've just said at the start, we've sort of seen that already with Asda and Sainsbury's. A large portion of brands announcing freak foods, he said, which is a deliberately weird-sounding food designed to drive outrage rather than to actually be eaten, which I thought was an interesting take. Was the Bountyless Celebrations last year? That was last year. I think that was phenomenal. He says a stunt involving an unpopular chocolate brand. So Topic, he says, he's looking in their direction. (laughs) So yeah, maybe maybe that's the one this year. That was such a good example of an earned media-led campaign, wasn't it? From Taylor Herring Bounty One last Christmas. So yeah, I mean, maybe people would have seen the impact of that and they're going to be thinking more along those lines. Yeah, It's funny, isn't it? It feels like that's maybe an easier thing to do if you're a single brand, like a chocolate brand like Celebrations versus a really big retailer where maybe you feel you've, you've got to take a different approach. Yeah, but... I mean, we were talking about this in relation to Marks and Spencer's, were they? The way that they sort of split their campaigns and their films up. So you used to have like the food versus the clothing and it's a very different approach. And one has a character-led base in previous years. Obviously, we'll have to see what they do this year. But again, we're sort of saying it's very different. As you say, you can't really do that with a brand like that. You've got to split it up and it's taken different elements of the pie, I suppose. Yeah. And how you approach it. Talking of Christmas, let's wrap up. Yay. <laughs> okay, so PR Week has launched the latest version of its top 150 monthly trading tracker, which asks UK agencies from the top 150 database about trading in the past month. So please do take part. Okay, that's all for this episode. Noise in Brief goes live every two weeks. In the meantime, look out for Beyond the Noise podcast next week. Thanks to John and Eliza, and thanks to you for listening. Goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.